0: This is from the Shoyoroku case 85. The appearance of the National Teachers Monument. The introduction. When you have the mallet to smash space and the ability to rend the mountain, then for the first time you arrive at where there are originally no seams or gaps, where you don't see any flaws or scars. But who is such a person? the main case. Emperor Suzong asked national teacher Zhong, after passing away, what will you need? The teacher said, make me a seamless monument. The emperor said, please tell me the monument's appearance. The teacher was silent for a while and then said, do you understand? The emperor said, I do not understand. The teacher said, I have a disciple to whom I have transmitted the teaching, named Dai Yuan. He knows about this matter. Later, after the teacher died, the emperor summoned summoned Dai Yuan and asked him about the meaning of this. Dai Yuan said, Sad of Jiang, not of Tan. Therein is gold for the whole country. Under the shadowless tree, the communal ferryboat. In the crystal palace, they are, there is no one who knows. The verse. Solitary and transcendent, round and full, where the power of the eye ends, it towers high, the moon descends, the mind is empty, the color of night is deep. When the clouds recede, the mountain is lean, the faces of autumn, many. The position of the eight trigram right, the energies of the five elements harmonize. The body is there before, have you seen it None, young father and son seem to know it exists the buddha and patriarchs of india can't do anything about it we just chanted how can we be free of the wheel of samsara there is the dharma wheel And there is the wheel of samsara. And we think that those are two separate wheels. We think there is good motion and bad motion. My motion, other people's motion. The wheel is the wheel. Flow is flow. The question is, What do we do about it or with it? What does it mean to harmonize, to unite, to unify? Today at the beginning, there were some maybe misunderstandings about or learning regarding kinhin, walking meditation in a group which obviously is very different than doing walking meditation alone by ourselves, in terms of the quality of what we do. When we walk alone, we think we're alone. We think it doesn't matter how I walk, what I do, what I say, what I think. There's nobody around. But then when we walk in kinhin, we're learning something, something very important, that it does matter how we move. It is important to pay attention. It is important to make an effort to merge with the flow of everybody. And we're all different. Everybody moves slightly differently, right? The pace, the gait, our awareness, attention level, all of it. And so our practice in Kinin is to learn to merge without interruptions, to join the line without interruptions, to leave the line without interruptions, and when we are causing interruptions to not make an interruption out of that. Because if we are told, we need to do better with that, or better job with that, then the mind starts working. And then, I messed up. I'm not good at this, I failed. Here's an interruption. Here is a flow, and right there, side by side, Here is an interruption. How do we meet that? So today we embark on a three-month journey we call Ango. And then standing together on this threshold, we each, as with everything, have a different experience of this moment in time. Some of us are new to this kind of journey and we may feel trepidatious about this unusual kind of trip. And some of us are more seasoned travelers, have been on the path for a while, may have a bit more familiarity, sense of familiarity with the varied nature of the experiences that await us down the road. But but while it is true that we each arrive at this moment from different places and we each have different thoughts and feelings about what's next, it's also true that we all share one fundamental undeniable truth. We don't know how the next moment will unfold. Having experience does not shed light on what's next. It can't. It's about what was. And it could also mean a lot about our level of readiness to meet the unknown. Which is what we practice, what we work on. So not knowing. It It is natural to feel a mixture of trepidations, and excitement. And I think that as long as we are skillful in using these two ingredients well, then we can travel well. Travel well whether it's bumpy or smooth. And it will be bumpy and it will be smooth. So what should we pack for this journey? Not knowing what's next while setting foot on the path with clear intentions is what we choose to work on. Not knowing. Maybe also not knowing what to pack, which is fine. Because we don't know what's next. So while we don't know, it is important that we keep in mind the three pillars of our practice always useful. The great doubt will help us stay open and curious as we deal with the unknown. The great trust will help us get through moments of discouragement, dullness, restlessness. And the great determination will ensure we maintain a forward momentum regardless of whether the road is bumpy or smooth. These are gems, which we often forget. And then there is the theme of this anger, cultivating seamless practice, or simply put, being seamless. Even with that, we have to be careful with the mind of duality. I'm the one who is cultivating this kind of mind. Being, seamless, and those two words as non-dual, what does that mean in terms of practice? That the being is none other than merged, seamless, unified, one at all times. Eyes open, eyes closed. Whether we realize it or not, life is always seamless, gapless, and in perpetual motion, without interruptions. Yet, while there are essentially no gaps or breaks in the continuity of reality, conceptually and emotionally we experience life as intermittent segmented and with plenty of interruptions and so working with such a theme requires a twofold engagement the first aspect is to observe life directly and personally recognize that it is it is in fact continual and integrated by its nature. We cannot invent or create constancy. We can only realize it. We can only experience it. And so the effort here is directed to intimate study of life by observation. And observation means not getting caught up in thoughts and not speaking so much, being quiet. So we don't get confused by our own internal chatter thinking, oh, I hear reality. Oh, I speak constantly and then I think I'm hearing reality speaking. So that's the first aspect. The second aspect is the observation of the one who is observing. The sense of segmented reality can and it does appear very real and convincing. And the voice in the head is often much louder than the voice of reality. And the key point here is to question these assumptions and lose the trust we put in them so we can shed light on the misalignment between thoughts and reality otherwise we don't know that we are misaligned or we are convinced that we are not so between thought and reality between the static conceptual self and the dynamic nature of life so what is a dynamic self is a good question for us to study. What is it? Perpetual, dynamic, in motion, constant. So the recognition of life as perpetual and the self as a vibrant expression of this constancy is known in Zen as the great death or the great merger. That recognition that the I and constancy are not two. So the conceptual I dies. And then I can come to life or realized life. Ancient wisdom traditions were born out of this, out of the recognition that we are misaligned from reality and detached from life. This is the basic teachings of Buddhism and it is what our Zen ancestors conveyed through their being and essentially devoted their lives to propagate is why we're here today. If it wasn't for what they have done, we would not have this practice. And the fact that we have inherited this practice doesn't really mean a whole lot if we do not use it well. right? So we sit, we walk, we bow, we do this, we do that, we light incense. All of it is not going to do anything Just by repeating it over and over again, we actually have to engage, which means we have to give ourselves fully to what we call practice. Not to the idea of practice or to some kind of an organization, but to life. And our Koan system brilliantly conveys this basic teaching through the words and actions of past teachers in a non-dual way that captures the gapless essence of our existence. And So in this case, in this koan, we meet national teacher Zhong, a 7th century Chinese Zen master who was a direct disciple of Wineng, the sixth patriarch. earned the title national teacher since he was the official teacher of three Tang Dynasty emperors, successive emperors. This koan brings up the last conversation, as we think, we know, between Emperor Suzong and the national teacher, which was most likely on his deathbed at the time best of what we know he was a hundred years old when he died it's quite unusual at that time and so out of deep respect for his teacher Emperor Suzong asked him after passing away what will you need what will you need You may adjust, which means this is the time to do what you did before. It says, after passing away, what would you need? In another translation, it says, in a hundred years, what will you need? which was the polite way to say, after you die. Because in a hundred years, we know you're not going to be around. So after passing, what would you need? And the footnote says, right now, he doesn't lack anything. Right now, he doesn't lack anything. So what will you need after you die when we need to know how to hear this question and the added footnote? In our tradition, there's a great deal of gratitude to past teachers in the lineage. And we make a point of honoring their devotion to practice by chanting their names, by invoking their presence during important events, and by conducting memorial ceremonies. Now why are we doing that? These guys lived and died a long time ago. and They did not seek recognition then and they obviously don't need it right now. They realized inherent completion, arrived at a sense of contentment and did not lack anything as the footnote states. They don't need recognition. Why do we need to know what it means to express appreciation, right? Or or do we even know what that means? During morning service, we chant, may we express our gratitude by accomplishing the way together, which simply means that the only way to express appreciation is to be as determined as they were, to awaken to what they have awakened, and to actualize that in this time. So in honoring the memory of, we are honoring this life, here, now, today, Honoring the one who is sitting on this cushion. One who is listening. One who is chanting. We are asked to turn the attention to this. And so to preserve the tradition so future generations can do the same we have to understand what it means. we can become enamored with reading about the lives of ancient masters or we can turn the attention to the one who's occupying this cushion right now the national teacher would ask us to do the latter and so he answered by saying make me a seamless monument And the footnote says, where do you start? It's a good pointer. Well, how about here? Is this the right place? Are you the right person? Maybe, besides all that, how do we create seamlessness in a reality that is always continuous, always undivided by its own nature. What does it mean to create, to build seamlessness? We can create what is, and so we are left with two options. We can either ignore it and create a sense of gaps and divisions in our lives, which is an option, or, second option, open our eyes and realize life as it really is, seamless, interconnected. How do we realize that? We turn the attention to the body, which is none other than an expression of seamless reality. Look at the way it functions. Look at what happens within the body. Everything depends on everything. Whatever happens on one part of the body will affect the other parts of the body. We can't stop it or we can ignore it. Then we deal with consequences. So turn the attention to the body. We turn our attention to the mundane. To what we take for granted. To the Buddha beyond our conceptual image of a Buddha. to what the mind barely sees, the thinking mind, that is. national teacher was, once entered the Dharma Hall and said to his disciples, Right now, you completely possess the nature of conscious perception. This benevolent nature can cause the raising of the eyebrows and the twinkling in the eye. It is employed when coming or going, and it pervades the body. If you tap your head, the head knows it. That's what that means. Nothing special. If you stamp your feet, the feet know it. The ancients called it pervasive consciousness. Aside from this, there is no other Buddha. You know, sometimes we hear this and it may sound maybe disappointing for some. And at some point we realize what a relief that is. That I don't have to do anything else, go anywhere else, become anyone else to experience that. Oh, I have to stop wanting to go anywhere else Become anyone else. Be somewhere else. And Zazen, now Zazen offers a direct link to the being which is already seamlessly, seamlessly integrated with reality. And our efforts during meditation are directed towards learning to keep the attention focused on the breath in the body staying on the cushion we hone the ability to develop deep deep state of meditative concentration aka samadhi in that state there is no need to construct anything since the body and mind all dropped away as conceptual and separate entities and seamlessness is realized by experience Again, nothing special. And this process is about simply realizing what we already are. However, it is not simple to experience since we are easily distracted by our thoughts and emotions and we are highly conditioned to trust the mind and follow emotions. Our minds create a sense of segmented reality and our practice is a way to shed light on life as a continuum that has no beginning and no end. No inside, no outside. It is a challenge to realize this during meditation and can be a greater challenge to take this realization off the cushion and mobilize it. Hence the single request of National Teacher Zhong, build me a seamless monument. Can you practice that? Yeah, you understand it in your head. But can you practice it? Or can you become aware of the many times during the day that you actually chop up reality into pieces and believe that to be real? Can you actualize the fundamental point in your everyday activity, which is the theme of our angle? So the emperor said, please tell me, the emperor said, please tell me the monument's appearance. What does it look like? What will it look like? And the footnote says, it cannot be fully depicted, it cannot be completely drawn. In our tradition, we often use words such as ungraspable, ineffable, because eternal or immutable flow cannot be contained by a word. Cannot be reduced to our cognitive understanding. We can, however, experience it by practicing non resistance and we can merge with the flow. The emperor, of course, wanted some description or explanation that will satisfy the mind and give a sense of clarity an illusion of clarity we read something we understand the meaning of the words and we think we understand only to follow on face later on to realize we actually don't so we run back to the words so so the emperor wanted explanation and instead of explanation his teacher remained silent for a while. And then he said, do you understand? The most powerful way to point to seamlessness is to not interfere and not create further distractions. Our Soto Zen tradition is also known as the style of silent illumination. Just observe. Just stay quiet. Sense it. Unify with it. Let it penetrate you fully. As in a state of total absorption. Silence has the power to reveal that which has never been hidden. And in Zen we cherish quietude and obviously spend a lot of time being immersed in silence. How quickly does it get uncomfortable though? right? You know, we have uh, jobs to do, right? We clean the kitchen, we clean this, we clean that. We can stay quiet, or not. Right? We can chit-chat. Is that bad? I'm just getting to know this person. Or we could choose to continue our practice of just being quietly, observing, We can actually have a job to do with another person, a few people, and feel them intimately in our hearts without one word. In fact, even more intimately, when no words are passed around. We're just not used to it. And sometimes we're not used to it to a point that we get uncomfortable so when we just want to fill the void with sound. Silence can be uncomfortable. But not because it is not healing, or it does not have the power to heal, or to mend, or to unite. It's because, it's because of where our attention goes that we become uncomfortable. And by itself, that's a great opportunity to be intimately with that. To become comfortable with the discomfort and to offer rest and support for that discomfort. The silence can do that. But then if we are quietly spending time with another person, the mind is interpreting, raising of the eyebrow or whatever, right? And then, oh yeah, he or she must think this or that about me. We can do that. Or we can do something else with that time. The footnote to the question, do you understand, says, here. You can't understand. You can't understand. And then it says, though not understanding, do not seek elsewhere. That's it. There's nothing wrong with not understanding. Just stay with that. Stay with this. Open up. Intimately feel it. Feel the moment. Feel the discomfort. All the being comfortable. Whatever is going on, don't seek elsewhere. That's always a powerful advice. Stay. Stick around. Learn to stay in the discomfort of not understanding. And let it reveal to you what is already there. So you can see for yourself that understanding is not a prerequisite to realization. There are no prerequisites at all. Because we're not inventing any. So there are no prerequisites to realization to experience some measure of peace and to contentment or to being in alignment with life. So the teacher was silent for a while and asked, do you understand? And the emperor did not stay with that and so he asked, and so he said, I don't understand. I don't understand, but I want to understand. Well, what if I don't understand, I'm okay with that? Versus I don't understand and I insist that I need to. So the emperor said I do not understand and the footnote says now he's getting somewhere. Great. Let's both of us stay quiet for a while. Let's both of us not understand together. Let's enjoy not understanding. The practice of not knowing is an essential aspect of Zen tradition which means it is essential that we get comfortable with not knowing and what I was saying at the beginning of this stage is that it's not an option meaning it's not well I rather know so I'm going to stick with knowing what's next you can practice not knowing who has that option? So he said, I don't understand. And the teacher said, fine. I have a disciple to whom I have transmitted the teaching. His name is Daiwan. He knows about this matter. And the footnote says, if the ancestors don't finish, the trouble reaches the descendants. Dalma heirs inherit the responsibility to remove obstacles and shed light for practitioners so they can see what cannot be seen with the conventional eye. But we all have inherited the trouble. It's good trouble. In fact, it's the only trouble that can heal. So later, the emperor, some after uh, the teacher died, the emperor summoned Dai Yuan and asked him about the meaning of this. And Dai Yuan said, South of Jiang, north of Tan, therein is gold, for the whole country. We can say between the West Coast and the East Coast, there is gold for everybody. Yet look what we do with it. Look how we divide, how we point fingers, how we hold on to opinions how we step on each other to get ahead how much we don't care as human beings and there's goals for the entire country and even personally our poverty mind is born out of a false state of insufficiency and inadequacy But in reality, our richness is found everywhere and everyone is equally endowed with it. Between the West Coast and the East Coast, there are no borders, gaps, lines. There is no red, blue, white, black. What is one? What is this chant now our return to oneness? What is it about? You know all those chants. we have to be careful because we chant them on a regular basis. We just chant. chant away. Do we hear what is happening when we chant? do we feel the teachings do we connect and then he said under the shadowless tree the communal ferry boat in the crystal palace there is no one who knows and the nirvana sutra has a reference to the shadowless tree as a tree in the darkness of night. Darkness, as some of you know, is often used as a symbol for the realm of unity. As since during the darkness of night, pitch black, the naked eye cannot see gaps and differences, and all appearances are seen as seamless and integrated. Where there are no differentiation and discrimination, there are no obstructions or shadows. Realizing the realm of unity is the ferry boat that transports us from delusion to realization. Realizing unity. Realizing seamlessness. The crystal palace is the realm of realization, where everything is fully revealed, as if you're seeing through glass walls. It cannot hide anything. In that crystal palace, there's no one who knows because the sense of gaps or separate existence drops away, and with that, the gap between self and other self, and the environment, all of it drops away. No one knows, and no one needs to know. And this is what each of us have to realize on our own. Or we will be haunted by gaps and seams for the rest of our lives. The national teacher once entered the hall and said those who study zen should venerate the words of buddha there is but one vehicle for attaining buddhahood and that is to understand the great principle that is to connect with the source of mind if you have not become clear about the great principle then you haven't embodied the teaching and you you're like a lion cub whose body is still irritated by fleas. Lion-cub, we are lion-cubs. And we have the potential to be lions, since we are that way already. And then he says, you'll be like a lion cub whose body is still irritated by fleas. We think that the irritation comes from the, from the external circumstances or from our karma. But essentially, we harass the heck out of ourselves. And then the sense of segmented reality is just a product of our elaborate perception. So where do the fleas come from? Verse Solitary and transcendent Footnote says Not being companion of myriad things Not being a companion of what arises and vanishes Connecting with A deep sense of continuous reality that does not come and go. Does not arise and vanish while dealing with what arises and vanishes. Being of this world, not of... Being in the world, not of the world. Round and full. Full is, and it says, no lack, no excess, as a footnote just to keep rolling with life, to be fully content, to be complete as is. And this is where the power of the eye ends, where the power of the eye, the eye, ends, it towers high. Where the power of the mind, the thinking mind ends. where the power of the conceptual self ends, then it is fully revealed. That's where Jodiki and Tariki come in, right? Tariki is worldly power. Jodiki is spiritual power. When we are engaged with worrying too much about worldly power, about what other people think, about approval, Disapproval, then we are limited by that power. It's very small power, yet we attribute a lot to it. When that ends, which is very quick, from there on, there is great power. There it towers high, and there is here. We have to just realise the limit the limited nature of Tariqi. The moon descends, the mind is empty, the colour of night is deep. Footnote says all worlds in the ten directions are like a point of ink. When the clouds recede, the mountain is lean, the faces of all many, the body exposed in the golden wind. The body of reality as is, is exposed. But we have to be willing to remove the extra layers that we think are protecting us. We have to be willing to shed. The position of the eight trigram right, heaven, earth, earth, join their virtues. In the I Ching, the eight trigrams correspond with the various directions, the different seasons and all aspects of life that come together to form our reality, our existence. And it says the energies of the five elements harmonize. Earth, water, fire, wood, metal. Sun and moon join their light. When I mean, it's all referring to inherent, already is, seamlessness. You remove this, you remove its opposite. What is the gap between this one and that one? And it says, the body is in there before. Have you seen it? Nanyang, father and son, seem to know it exists. The Buddha and patriarchs of India can't do anything about it. Nanyang was the first name of national teacher, Zhong. And father and son here is referring to him and his successor. And they both had an intimate knowledge of it. Which they arrived at by diligent and determined practice. We need to do the same. Rather than be occupied by the fleas that irritate our skin. Trying to micromanage life. From embracing it and being disappointed when it doesn't yield to our amazing micromanagement skills, and so we have to recognize our own gap-making tendencies and work on dissolving them, rather than try to glue together the pieces and arrive at some idea of unity. Even peace. You know, it's not that we have to make everybody get along before we can experience peace. We can actually experience peace now. In the midst of chaos. In the midst of suffering, midst of fighting, we still fight, right? I mean, yesterday was 20 years' 9 11 memorial. And we remember 3,000 people who perished that day. I was listening to an interview with this immunologist who was talking about the pandemic he was actually making a really good point he said we are remembering people 3,000 people who passed away 20 years ago and he said this weekend alone 3,000 people will perish in one day because of the pandemic 1,500 people a day die and we're going to argue now about what should we do It is avoidable. Well, maybe not every death. But a big chunk of it is avoidable. But we prefer to argue. We prefer to hold on to gaps. So 3,000 people in two days. I think it's a good connection he made between that 20 years ago, and what we're doing now. Because we can't do anything about that, but we can do a lot about this, about how we kill each other today. At least see how harmful the gap-creating mechanism is. It always comes down to us. It always comes down to today. To experiencing seamlessness right now. To not argue with ourselves. I think I, I told that story a while ago about when I started Aikido practice first couple of years. I was kind of a maniac about it. I would train six, seven days a week. And I remember once in a while, I had something going on, something to do, and the time for class came and I was like, I should be on the mat training and I'm not. And there was this sense of anxiety as if I was in the wrong place. How can I be? How can we be in the wrong place? What, is, what is, does it even mean? Because all that can happen, all that does happen is that we create a gap of anxiety. And the anxiety is born because I think this is wrong. It's born from me thinking that this is wrong. I should not be here. Or I should not make that mistake, for example. But I am. So I am bringing an impossibility to the moment, and then I try to force this impossibility. To force it on life, life spits it back. You deal with it. That's your idea. That's what life's saying. And we're left with that. Then what? And then if we, if we turn it around and if we say, okay, well, this is it. I can't be anyone else. Why do I want to be anyone else? I can't be anyone else. I can't be anywhere else or with someone else. Then I might as well embrace it fully. I might as well rest instead of fight. Because I can't win this one. Yeah, I can go somewhere else. But it's the same problem, because I'm not going to find myself somewhere else when I get there. And releasing a little bit, releasing our attachment to a false sense of security, that could help. Because it's false, because whatever security we have in our mind, It's not going to shed light on what's next and it's not going to guarantee anything about what's next. So releasing, and actually releasing seems terrifying, but until we release, we don't know that it's healing. So I mentioned last week, we need to keep an open heart, and flexible mind, and open heart to love, period. Just love. Unconditionally. And a flexible mind to become what we need to become when we need to become it. Not knowing what it means, what will it mean a moment before. Because grasping doesn't work. maybe I should ask does it work for you has it ever worked for anyone to grasp so the most important question is now what now that I'm here now that there is this now that that's happening now that I'm faced with this circumstances now that I'm at that age, that body, that whatever, now what? And that question implies forward-moving action, and it can help us shift the attention from stagnation to a much more dynamic way of being. Now what? If you take anything with you, take that question to go. Use it. So I'll end with... this national teacher once said to his assembly no I'm not going to end with that what he said build me a seamless monument was not what he really meant what he really meant to say is stop building these elaborate perceptions in your mind Let go of creating a self. Let go of grasping. Realize. Realize that you have always been fully merged with a constant and eternal flow. So by saying build me, he said stop building. Everything is always perfect and complete. Even when we feel broken. Even when we feel alienated. Inadequate. Unworthy. So where are the gaps coming from? What gives birth to a sense of seams, segments? Let's keep that those questions alive the next 90 days. Thank you.